Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Back in March of 2015, I got a tip that the CBC had pulled a documentary from their broadcast schedule at the last minute. They'd been promoting and hyping up this thing, uh, talking about it on social media, running clips of it, ads for it. But, but then something happened behind the scenes and it never aired. They put on a rerun instead that night. And we got tips like that pretty frequently back then. You know, stories being unpublished or pulled or killed. I liked those stories. It, it was always interesting if you could find out what went down. You know, what happened behind the scenes? Did they catch an error and find out the whole story was false? Or did a source or somebody get cold feet? Or did somebody get to them? Did somebody interfere with the story and succeed? Well, that one, back in March of 2015, I dug into it and I learned that in that case, somebody had interfered. It was people who looked bad in that documentary, people who were criticized in that documentary. They found out about it, and they pressured the CBC. Not only were they successful in getting the documentary pulled from broadcast, but the documentary was then edited to remove the parts that were critical of these people. And not only that, but the narrator then recorded a new line of narration explicitly saying that whatever the documentary was saying critically about others did not apply to these specific people who had pressured the CBC. And that was something new to me. I mean, up until that point, I thought that I'd been working on a story about the CBC, a story that made the CBC look bad, a story about the CBC chickening out and letting a third party censor them. But that changed because when I learned about just what this third party was able to get the CBC to do, I had to wonder, who are these guys? 
And that is when I realized that I was not reporting a story about the CBC. That was the moment when I realized that my story was really about We Charity. And I have been reporting that story ever since. I fell down hard that rabbit hole. And, you know, reporters here, past and present, uh, Jaron Kerr, Jonathan Goldsby, John Allen Nemu in Nairobi, who we partnered up with, everybody who got involved in the story, they fell down that rabbit hole too. And collectively, we have been threatened and surveyed and smeared and bribed, uh, attempted bribery, that is. But consistently, we published. And every time we published, more people came forward with more information. And getting that information, we would go back to We Charity with more questions, and that led to more threats, more stories. More stories meant more sources. The story got more tangled and complicated and wilder and woolier over the years until finally it spilled out into a national scandal that you could not escape last summer. And at its apex, the prime minister was facing calls for his resignation and We Charity, its partners were cutting and running. And, and finally, they just said, enough, enough. You did us in. We're closing forever. And it seemed like maybe that was the end of it. And part of me was very relieved. But some stories get under your skin. And this one, it's itchy. And every time I, I kind of tried to satisfy that itch and, and ask myself, well, what are they doing now? What's going on now? I always found some new stuff out. And the old stuff was itchy too. Like wh wh what did it all mean if you start back at the beginning and look at this whole thing that happened in Canada with this organization over a 25 year period, what actually happened here? And what does it tell us? And how is it all going to end? Because it's still not over. Look, I couldn't help myself. I put together a new team and we started at the very beginning and we set out to tell it all, the whole story, so far. Our new series is called The White Saviors. And today I am going to play you the first episode here on Canada Land. And then if you wanna hear more, the second episode is live right now. You can hear it by subscribing to the White Saviors podcast feed. And if you do not, if you are totally done with this story, I get it. I mean, I really, I, I, I do. But I, I think you should listen to what I'm about to play because this might surprise you. After all these years, the story of We Charity still has the ability to astonish me. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Gareth McLeod, Kyla Bone Mitchell, Sabrina Natarajan, John Winter Russell, Sarah Hopin, Laura Johnson, Michaela Crichton, and Jody. Hi, my name is Jody, and I'm a grad student at the University of Alberta in Amwiskachi, Wuskahagan, also known as Edmonton. And I support Canada Land because the variety of podcasts they produce, such as Commons, The Backbench, Canada Land, and Thunder Bay, provide unbiased coverage of stories that matter. I also love that they are making an effort to provide content en français. Merci. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins. 
minerals, pre- and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. My name is Mark Kilberger. I do swear that the evidence I shall give on this examination shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. The brothers about to give testimony to Canada's parliament have been considered national treasures since they were boys. Uh, my name is Craig Kibberger. I do swear that the evidence I shall give on this examination shall be the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Craig was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize when he was still a teenager. Mark was called to the Order of Canada. When they meet politicians, it's usually to be congratulated for their charity work or to be handed awards. Today will be very different. Mark, you're caught on tape describing an April 23rd call with the Prime Minister's office. You now deny that call. Was it a figment of your imagination? Uh, I got a little bit ahead of myself and misspoke. I apologize and I do apologize again. In the summer of 2020, the Kielberger Brothers charity, the WE organization, became the focus of a national scandal. It is a huge amount of money that was given to your organization. So when we hear from the board of your chair that she was denied access to financial records, and when she pushed for those answers, Mark, you hung up on her. You didn't like the fact that she was asking for financials, and then you say you don't, you want her gone, and then you clear the board. Sir, I don't feel that's a, a proper characterization of the series of events. You move this money into what is essentially a real estate holding company with no oversight. Come on, boys, because that's really, really strange. Don't you get that this looks kind of dodgy to the average Canadian who's saying, whoa, did we give these guys 500 and some million dollars and we put it into that? Like, what is this? For 25 years before the scandal, the WE organization was more than a beloved children's charity. It was a global phenomenon. Then, in a matter of weeks, it all came crashing down. Have either of you been contacted by the RCMP? Again, as we said, we do understand Mr. Angus's letter and nope, we anticipate- that's my, my question. Have either of you been contacted by the RCMP? We've previously spoken on this matter. You can have keep you, asking as often as you like. Have either of you been contacted by the RCMP? We've previously spoken on this question. No, you haven't. The Kilburgers were entrusted with a great deal of money. But parents trusted them with a lot more than that. I, I don't trust you anymore, but my children did go through your program. My children learned so much from you guys when you guys were a much younger operation. But they Thank talked you, to a lot of former WE staff including one who said that we became another private company whose number one aim is money, and I wanted to work at an organization where fear is not used as a tactic to achieve an end. How did everything go so wrong, so fast? 
How did it come to this? Craig, you're in a lot of trouble here, my friend. You're under oath. Perjury is a crime. From Canada Land Podcasts, this is The White Saviors. My name is Olushola Adeogun. I was born in Nigeria. I grew up surrounded by NGOs, non-governmental aid organizations, like the WE organization. There are thousands of them in my country. They are a fact of life. All kinds of people came to save us, to do charity. Some had the best intentions. Others came for adventure, and the rest came to make money. I never encountered the WE organization myself, but I will always remember the NGO that came to Alagbole, a neighborhood not far from where I lived in the outskirts of Lagos. They promised to build a sustainable water system. My friends in Alagbole were excited. There was a ceremony and a ribbon cotton. And then, the NGO just never showed up. The well was never built. It was frustrating, but not new to us. The truth is, a lot of the aid dollars sent our way don't end up in African hands or anywhere near them. Some NGOs do a lot of good. I once worked for an NGO that helped Nigerian families gain access to medications, condoms, and valuable medical information relating to HIV AIDS. They made a difference. For some, the WE organization also made a positive difference. Certainly, that was the goal from the start. But as you will hear in the episodes ahead, things became far more complicated. Craig and Mac Kilburger did not agree to be interviewed for this series. But you will hear the story of the Kilburgers in their own words, through their speeches and promotional videos. And it is important to hear how they tell it, not just what they say. You will also hear what others have to say about them and what our news organization learned about them through five years of investigation. This is the story of two young men who set out to change the world, who wanted to do good, but ended up doing well. They're filling stadiums all over the country, gathering a star-studded following with their message of giving back. Brothers Craig and Mark Kilberger are rock stars of social change and co-founders of the WE movement. Are you ready to change the world? Fueled by a desire to make the world a better place, Craig and Mark are mobilizing millions. This is the movement. This is the moment. Craig Kielberger. Kielberger, thank you so much. Thank you. you were so impassioned, both of you, and now this has become your life's work. We have the billionaire founder of Virgin Group, Sir Richard Branson, and Craig Kielberger. The Kielbergers make doing good 
cool. We started in our parents' basements when we were kids. Craig was 12, I had just turned 17. I never imagined that today would have a thousand employees. And global offices around the world. A million people in developing countries we've lifted out of poverty. We connect with the largest following on Facebook of any charity in the world. Humanitarians, social entrepreneurs, activists. Mark and Craig, you have changed the trajectory of my life. Mark and Craig, this world clearly is already a much better place because of you two. Mark and Craig, you know you're my heroes and I adore you. As you heard, the WE organization grew to an epic scale, but all of it began in 1995 with a story. Free the Children started when I was 12 years old, and I read about the life and the death of a young child slave. It's a story Craig has been telling since he was a child. He's told it thousands of times. A young boy from Pakistan named Iqbal Masi told the world how at the age of four, he was sold into slavery for less than $16. When he was four years old, his family was so poor, they sold him into slavery for $16. He worked hours upon hours, tying thousands of tiny knots every single day, weaving carpets. But the boy broke free from slavery and tried to free other child slaves. He chose to stand up. He chose to speak out. He would stand in front of audiences, holding a carpet tool in one hand and a pencil in the other, and said every child should have the right to hold a pencil and no one should ever be forced to hold a tool. And then, Iqbal Masi was killed. At the age of 12, he was assassinated. But it was not over, because later, half a world away, in the suburbs of Toronto, another boy named Craig read about Iqbal Masi in a newspaper. Then I saw the headline, Battle of Child Labor, Boy 12, Murdered. And I was 12, and so I was intrigued by this. Well, after doing some research, I just walked to my classmates and said, listen, who wants to help? It lit a fire within him, and he vowed to carry on the work that the slain boy could not. I couldn't promise him a better life. But the one thing that I can promise the children who I meet with is that I will take their stories and I will tell them to anyone who's willing to listen. Craig dedicated his life to this promise. Through your words and through your actions, set these children free. Thank you. And in this way, Iqbal Masi was resurrected, born again in the mission of Craig Kilberger to free the world's children. To hear this story, it's almost like something from the Bible. Right from the start, it was a story that had power. Just hearing it motivated people to action. Who will help the children if we don't? Thank you very much. wanted to let you know that the board has just voted and will offer, will donate $5,000 to your cause. And by way of that, we are now challenging everybody out there to help Craig. You said you needed $10,000? Uh, yes, that's what we're hoping to raise for a fund. Okay, well, I think we can do better than that. Okay? We would like to donate $5,000 to 
We'd like to donate a thousand dollars. Yeah, we're gonna match the five thousand dollars. That was Craig making one of his first big speeches at a conference of Canadian labor unions. He was there to raise money. He exceeded his goal by over 1,000%. It did not take long for the media to notice Craig's advocacy. You were the subject of a 60 Minutes interview, is that right? Yes. What was that experience like? It was uh, quite phenomenal, in fact. Actually, I'll be seeing Ed Bradley again in a couple weeks at an award ceremony, in fact, that he's uh, bestowing to Free the Children. And it was truly one thing that launched us to international prominence. Uh, 60 Minutes, CNN, you know, all the, you know, the ABC, CBS. An overseas tour was documented in a short film called In Search of Character. Craig's trip to Asia and the media attention it got triggered a bombshell of activity. Free the Children chapters sprung up everywhere as thousands of kids were drawn into this international network of children helping children. And their impact is enormous. They send badly needed school supplies and health kits to children who are too poor to buy them. Through garage sales and car washes, they raise money for teacher salaries in schools that are otherwise too poor to hire them. Their charitable mission expanded over the years to include things like building schools and providing clean water. Schools in Canada and the United States struck partnerships with them. Craig's speeches, fundraising, and media appearances fueled the growth at every step. When you watch these old videos of Craig as, as a 12-year-old, what strikes you first is the way that he speaks. He's excellent. Canadaland publisher and editor Jesse Brown led our team of reporters who broke the We Charity scandal. He is perfectly poised, perfectly groomed. He looks like a, like a miniature grown-up. You, you never see him reading from a script. It never sounds like he's reciting a speech from memory. He is articulate and passionate. And even when you see him lecturing large audiences of grown adults, he's in total command. And you have to wonder, who is this kid? And my question is, are all children created equal? And if child labor is wrong for a white, middle-class child in North America, then why is it any different for a girl in Thailand or a boy in Brazil? My friends and I have started an organization called Free the Children, a youth group mainly made up of young people between 10 and 16 years of age. The second thing that strikes you in those early videos is that you don't see Craig much with his mom or dad in that early footage or, or in the early news reports. You see him traveling the world. Uh, he goes on this famous seven-week tour of South Asia. He's meeting with world leaders. He's talking to these poor children in slums. He seems to be at times in very dangerous places. He's raiding sweatshop factories. And there does not seem to be much adult supervision. He turns 13 on that trip. His parents are not there with him. So at the root is the story of Iqbal, but on the screen, you see Craig. And a point that he stresses is that nobody is pulling the strings. All of this is coming from the children, for the children. 
Greg, if I can just ask a question, obviously it's a cause that no one can question, but are you certain you're not being exploited by adults in any way as you run this campaign? Actually, I'm the founder of the organization, Free the Children, so I've done it totally on my own will, and it's a completely youth-run organization. Well, the obvious irony, of course, is that this 12-year-old who is crusading against child labor is himself working like a dog. He immediately goes from just being a kid to to having this high-intensity career right from the start. And you wonder, how can it be possible that he's the one driving this? Isabel Vincent is a reporter for the New York Post. In 1996, she lived in Toronto and worked as a freelance writer for the magazine Saturday Night. She may be the first and the last reporter to ever get close access to the Kilbugger family. When I first saw it, I thought, wow, that's amazing that that he's doing this. Is there anything else to this? I remember riding around Toronto with him going from speech to speech, for instance, and it was fine. Very nice people. That's what I remember. Isabel learned that behind the scenes, Craig's mother, Teresa, was in fact deeply involved in her famous son's career. He was 13 years old, and this was like an incredible accomplishment, an incredible sense of self-possession and, you know, in a good way that he sort of recognized a cause and he was determined to do something about it. So there were a lot of people who, you know, wanted to celebrate that, but we were also conscious of, you know, the fact that his mother was kind of stage managing it. That made it a much more complex story. Vincent reported that Teresa Kilberger strategized Craig's press conferences. She also booked his $5,000 per 30-minute speaking appearances. And she deposited hundreds of thousands of dollars in donation directly into the family's personal bank account. Vincent didn't accuse the family of stealing, but she did point out that they accepted large charitable donations before they were a legally registered charity. was that it was like it had grown so exponentially in such a short period of time that it kind of caught them off guard. Uh, Through my travels, I've been uh, fortunate enough to meet with people such as uh, His Holiness the Pope, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, uh, the Queen Elizabeth, Al Gore, Hillary Clinton, uh, various people along these lines. But then he met someone with real power, Oprah. I'd like to commit to building 100 schools around the world. 100 schools. Oh, my God. Oprah's partnership took the WE organization to a whole other level. Her cash donation was helpful, but the exposure was priceless. More and more schools in the United States joined in. Craig's big brother, Mark, became much more involved. In many ways, my brother Mark is the reason why I got involved. And when he was younger, he was involved in environmental issues. And I still remember when I was eight years old, going to a school with him and he'd give me the petition, he'd explain it all to me, and I'd have to repeat what he said. He was the first one that opened my eyes to human rights issues. Mark acquired new skills once he left home. He returned as a Harvard graduate and an Oxford-educated lawyer. With his influence, 
the organization grew in a whole new direction. The beautiful part is we're able to divide and conquer. His passion is in the analytics and the finance side. My passion is the opening new offices and growing our program side. And it's this beautiful partnership together. Here again is Canada Land editor Jesse Brown. Craig's the face of the organization. But Mark, he's the one who really seems to have steered things on the course that has made it so different from other charities. He brought in the uh, social enterprise philosophy, this idea that what nonprofits really need is the ability to profit. And that's what MediaWe is all about. It's a different organization, but essentially it's the same mission, creating the change which we all wish to see. It's how we consume, how we live our lives, what type of music we listen to, how we spend our summers. MediaWe creates the change which we all wish to see in the world. Now, it's true that many charities do start businesses so that they can make money from something other than just asking for donations. But usually, the charities own the businesses that they start. But in this case, the Kielbergers launch MediaWe, a for-profit company, as a privately owned entity. And many, many more privately owned companies that they consider part of the MediaWe family of companies would follow. These are privately owned businesses that are owned by the Kielbergers. Over the years, it grows to this extraordinary scale. I mean, we're talking about a philanthropic organization that at its height includes a series of five-star luxury resorts all around the world in Kenya, in the Amazon rainforest in India, uh, a 36-acre ranch in Arizona with this mansion-sized home. Uh, they have a summer camp. They have here in Toronto, which is considered like one of the hottest real estate markets in the world, a portfolio of prime downtown real estate that, that's valued at around $50 million. And that's before you get into their own brand of chocolate and coffee and their clothing line and their network TV specials in the United States. They promise publicly that the profits made by these companies will go back to the charity. But, you know, as soon as you're doing business as a private company, the numbers are a mystery to the public. You know, it's, it's not like a charity where the financials get released every year. And one place where that becomes really relevant is in the schools. As the WE organization grows, it gets access as a charity to more and more public and private schools. And that means that there's a constant flow of young volunteers and fundraisers, many of whom later become employees of the company. Mark has spoken really openly about that. And what we do is we start them really young. We start them in senior kindergarten because we fundamentally believe that you don't turn 18 and develop a social conscience. We clubs were founded in thousands of public and private schools. One student who joined up was Pippa Beadle. I went to boarding school in Connecticut, and it's a new school, it's you're away from home, and, and you really want to make friends and join communities. And one of the ways to do that is through clubs. And one of the largest clubs at our school uh, was Free the Children. The proposition for Free the Children was really attractive to me. We would raise money to support villages. And over the next few years, I got more involved with the club and eventually became a head of the club. But it was over that time that I learned more about what Me to We Free the Children, We Charities, sort of what the, all these different entities were. These days, Pippa is a writer who has documented her experiences as a teenage volunteer. What was going on in my mind was that there was some really deep-seated guilt that I felt I needed to address. And one of the ways to address it was by being involved in this club that said, 
hey, if you raise money for us, we'll help fix the world. Papers Group raised money for the WE organization by selling tote bags and bracelets from Kenya. Their system was confusing. Her club of teens was told to buy the bracelets from the Kilburgers business, sell them to schoolmates and others, and send the money from that back to the Kilburgers charity. They ask you to buy bracelets to then sell bracelets to then give them the money from. But there's no explanation of like, that by buying the bracelets, you're buying them from a company. By selling them, you're engaging in fundraising to then send the money to this nonprofit. That everything they do is hyper convoluted. Should I have questioned it? Probably. I was also between 14 and 17. Paper wasn't the only one who got confused. Hugh Winters is a retired Canadian businessman. Back in the late 90s, he needed to book a speaker for a conference. And my wife saw the, an article about Craig in People magazine. So we got in touch with him and, and brought him in as a speaker. Like so many, Hugh Winters was impressed with Craig. We actually had Craig um, up to our country house. Um, his mother had expressed that he was traveling around the world and kind of, uh, um, you know, getting exhausted. So we said, well, he needs to take a break. And we had him up to our country house uh, with our kids same age for a week. Um, our kids didn't relate to him at all. He didn't relate to them. Our kids are normal kids. They were playing cards. He didn't know how to play cards and stuff like that. <laughs> he was he was more comfortable up on a stage talking to people and whatnot. Like Isabel Vincent, he observed that it was Craig's mother, Teresa, who was truly in charge. At the time, it was more the mother running things. She was definitely the um, sort of the power of this uh, enterprise as opposed to Craig or uh, certainly the father who seemed like a nice guy, but he was in the background sort of thing, right? Craig's mom asked Hugh Winters to join the charity's board of directors. He was told that the charity needed skilled adults to oversee its affairs. My wife, who's pretty intuitive, said, I don't know, there's something a little off with this whole thing. So she said no, and and the kids said no because they didn't get along but I was sort of looking for something to do with, with I wanted to get involved with a charity with children. So I said, sure, went on the board. And, um, and the board at, at the very beginning was mostly old friends, teachers, this and that. He knew that his role on the board meant that he was personally responsible for its financial practices. He began to see things that concerned him. He had already gone on to Oprah, and she was offering him a quarter of a million dollars. But Oprah was not going to give the money out without seeing good quality financial information, and the financial information was not up to stuff. I brought into consideration, look, you've got these different entities, and you've got money sloshing back and forth, and I I can't go around raising money with with things in the shape they are. So we need to to fix the governance and the financing. Um, What I tried to lead was a strategic review and said, look, you've got this charity in the UK, you've got this charity in the US, you've got the charity in Canada. And it's really one charity, but they're completely unassociated. And then on top of that, the, the administrator came to me and said, look, they're, they're connecting their private enterprise in through the charity, and that's not kosher, and she was objecting to it, and they let her go over this. 
When Hugh Winters called for the strategic review, he got results, but not the results he was hoping for. So when an emergency board meeting was called, so we all got together. Craig came in and said uh, to the board, thank you for everything you've done. You're all fired. <laughs> the WE organization says that not everyone on the board left at this time. What they wouldn't say is how many stayed on. Hugh Winters wasn't the first person to get an aggressive response for questioning how the Killbuggers handled money. It happened years earlier when Isabel Vincent's magazine article was published. Craig Kielberger, the 13-year-old who made a name fighting child labor around the world, well, he's suing Saturday Night Magazine over an article in the November issue. The latest issue of Saturday Night Magazine, Free the Children is portrayed as being interested only in fame and fortune. 13-year-old Craig Kielberger says he and his campaign to eliminate child labor have been defamed. And the editors of Saturday Night Magazine had one thing in mind, to undermine the efforts of Free the Children. Saturday Night did not have an immediate reaction to the lawsuit, but the editor says he stands by the story. The Kielbergers sued for $3 million. And I remember that they sued kind of globally. They sued me and they sued, I think, the publisher of Saturday Night, but also the copy editors and the, um, the photographer and the art director. I mean, they covered all bases, you know, I guess to send a message. In Canada, we don't have huge defamation rulings. 200,000, 300,000, that's the ballpark. So $3 million was very aggressive. And it was coming from a 13-year-old. And if you read the article that he sued over, it's not that negative. Anyhow, the magazine ended up settling that lawsuit with the Kilbergers four years later for not $3 million, uh, but for a little over $300,000. When we settled, they held a press conference declaring that they had been victorious against us, which really wasn't, you know, which really wasn't the truth because um, the case never went forward. I mean, I think we went to discovery and then it kind of ended there. I feel vindicated. And I feel that the credibility of our work of Free the Children's Efforts have been restored. And now I look forward to just closing this chapter, moving on with what's important, focusing our energy in our projects. And after that story was reported, I got to tell you, Nobody dared to write a critical word about the Kilbergers or about the WE organization for 15 years. The media got the message. Don't mess with WE charity. And looking back on everything that happened after that, it really does explain a lot about why it took us so long to find out what was actually going on inside their organization. The culture was very toxic. Fear intimidation, idolatry around Craig. Using free child labor to help negate other child labor is like a weird cycle. My parents were like, you can't, you can't go back. Like, this is it, you're done. What would be called culture? I think we can take the U-R-E off of that word. That's on the next episode of The White Saviors.
Okay, to hear the next episode of The White Saviors right now, just go and search for The White Saviors wherever you get your podcasts. If you could review and spread the word about the show, well, this is the time when that helps us a lot. The White Saviors is written by Mark Slutsky with narration and script assistance by Olushola Ariogan. That episode was produced by me with mixing and sound design by Chandra Bullikon. It was based on reporting by Jaron Kerr, Jonathan Goldsby, me, and many others. Canada Land is produced by Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. For additional information about the story you heard today, including full responses from the WE organization and a list of our source material, check out the show notes to this episode. Canada Land's theme music is by SoCold. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do and you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us by hitting the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. Join.